0: Hello and welcome back to Nerdy Girl Reviews, a podcast where I talk about whatever the fuck I want completely unprompted, including but not limited to media, movies, TV, streaming, books, music, video games, comic books, comic book movies, and I definitely think we're going to have a lot of comic book movie talk today with my guest Rach. Hello Rach, thank you for being here.
1: Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me. I think this is going to be super fun.
0: (laughs) I think this is going to be super chaotic, (laughs) which (laughs) is synonymous with fun. (laughs) True.
1: (laughs) And, you know, the Guardians movies are very chaotic, so we're just going along with the theme.
0: Yes, this one in particular, and, like, I'm sure we'll talk about all three as we go and other Marvel stuff. And, like, I was just watching something for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and I was like oh my God, I can't wait to talk to Rach about that. I can't wait to see it. I'm seeing it Thursday. <laughs> um, But this Guardians movie was not as fun or funny, I would say, as the rest of them. But I feel like it was still in like true spirit of the Guardians because it maintained all of its heart. So when people complain about like, mm. oh, it was too dark, it was too this, I was like, The first movie starts out with Peter Quill's mother dying of cancer. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I just don't really see that complaint because otherwise, like, the funny stuff really landed too, I think.
1: Yeah, I think it was a really good balance. Um, So I rewatched it yesterday as of when we're recording this to refresh my brain. And yeah, I think... It was harder for me to watch it a second time around because I knew it was coming. And so therefore, like, all of my emotions (laughs) were just there already. But the first time I found myself laughing a lot. And the theater was laughing a lot too, which was fun.
0: I think I told you this. The first showing that I went to, everyone walking out of it was like 75 years old. And then everybody (laughs) walking into my showing was like five years old. So, oh gosh, yeah, yeah. I don't think any of them really like appreciated it as much as I did necessarily, which is kind of interesting because I feel like usually the opening weekend crowd are like the super fans,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but I don't know. Maybe people. I think that honestly, and I know that we're not here to shit on Marvel, but like we're kind of here to <laughs> shit on Marvel. <laughs> I feel like the last few Marvel movies have put such a sour taste in people's mouths that like they weren't as excited for this movie, and I don't think that's fair at all.
1: Yeah, and I'm wondering, too, if they just didn't know what to expect, because I think I didn't know what to expect coming into this. I actually set my expectations pretty low because I just thought about everything that James Gunn had to deal with in terms of what he had to incorporate into this movie based on the previous ones and the shows that have, you know, since occurred since volume two. And I was also, you know, just, I haven't had a good Marvel experience in a long time. Yeah, (laughs) And so I was kind of keeping my expectations low. And I think in spite of that, you know, it exceeded all of my low expectations and then did more. Um, like, I really couldn't ask for a better ending to this trilogy. Yeah,
0: I agree. I definitely think that there, there were a lot of factors that played into why this movie probably in another like timeline wouldn't have worked. COVID being one of them, of course, and, like, James Gunn being fired, not Mm. getting into all of that stuff because people have varying opinions on it. But let's be real, like, the reason why Adam Warlock feels a little bit out of place for some people is because... Volume 2 came out in, what, 2016? And Volume 3 should have been out within the next few years, if not, like, right after Endgame. But it got shelved because of all of the bullshit that was happening behind the scenes. And then, you can swear on this podcast, by the way. I do it all the time, of course. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there's a lot that happened behind the scenes. And it just impacted, it could have impacted everything really, really, really negatively because when you hear of things like, oh, we're struggling with this, that, or the other thing. And the other part is like a lot of the cast would not have come back if not for James Gunn. So Mm. thank God they got him back and thank God they got everybody else back because what we got as an end result for, again, what you were saying, what he had to deal with in the process of making this movie it is the perfect ending for everybody and it might not be the like perfect happy storybook ending that everybody wanted but everybody is alive and I never even thought that was gonna happen
1: (laughs) right right (laughs) same here I mean I expected at least one of the guardians to die and I'm so glad that he didn't go that route because I don't know I've seen a lot of this I think it's kind of perpetuated by Game of Thrones, Mm. where it's just like, nobody has a happy ending. We can... Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Anybody can be killed, you know, to quote the series. I just don't like that. I think you need to go where the story takes you instead of trying to subvert expectations in a way that is just for shock value, basically.
0: Yeah, and even... I don't know, like... The fake out death, for example, I would normally get really pissed off about that because they (laughs) did it in, you know, Black Panther and they've done it in other stuff. They did it in Winter Soldier, I think, with Nick Fury. Mm -hmm. Like, I would have gotten really upset about that if it hadn't been such an emotional moment. Yeah. Because for the most part, those are done as like misdirects. And to get you to think, oh, no, what are the heroes going to do now? But it was the end of the movie with Quill and the end of the movie, too, with Rocket, I think, like toward the end. Yeah. And the emotional buildup of the entire movie led to those moments. So you really feel like I'm not going to lie. I was sobbing at the thought of Peter Quill dying. And if you asked me that 10 years (laughs) ago, I would have been like, who the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it really hit me as well as all the other emotional moments in this movie. I, it, it was just, if you're not going to be funny and quippy all the time, which Marvel movies have a tendency to fall into, and it p- annoys me, Yeah, then you need to have those emotions that are actually impactful instead of trying to force an emotional moment by having a dramatic like scene for the sake of it these characters and their relationships really drove the story in a way that you did feel every single like passive aggressive comment between each other and the love that they really do have for each other and that was the driving force behind all of it in this whole trilogy is love which is virtually absent from most other marvel projects
1: (laughs) (laughs) right no i completely agree and it's like You know, when you have those fake-out deaths in other Marvel movies, or even just other movies in general, you're right in that it just doesn't have that emotional impact. Because the reason why I think some of those deaths hit even harder is the reaction of the other characters. Like, when Mantis was screaming Peter, I was like, oh my god! (laughs) Like, I felt that. When, you know, when he when Peter was so upset about Rocket, like you can just feel those emotions pouring out of the characters and they earned that relationship. They earned all of the relationships in the film. It wasn't just like, oh yeah these two characters are interacting because that's what they do in the comic books Mm -hmm. (laughs) where like I can kind of criticize Civil War a little bit in that way where like Mm. The Tony Stark Captain America conflict was not as impactful to me because it's just like I didn't really care about the relationship that these characters had prior to them fighting. <laughs> but like, with the Guardians, they have so much build up that you really you feel those moments and they hit different.
0: <laughs> no, it's true. I was thinking about Civil War while you were talking, and then you led to that, and I was like, "Oh, okay, So we are on the same page." Because I was thinking about it, too, in terms of, like, storytelling. Those are kind of, at least in in the actual time frame of the MCU, like, Civil War is not a true ending for Captain America as a character. So how is it the ending of his trilogy? This is the true yeah. ending of the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy. I think they should not make any more of them <laughs> because... Agreed. (laughs) It's just so like neatly and tightly wrapped at the end where everybody is in the place where they've kind of been building to and everybody is trying to figure out who they are in search for their own happiness outside of the group. But I saw somebody describe it as like senior year. It's like when you're about to graduate and you realize that all of your best friends who you love, that you spend every single day with, that you hang out with outside of school... They're not gonna be in your life to the same capacity because you all are gonna have your own things going on, mm-hmm. but you still love them and you're still like there for them. You might not talk for extended periods of time, but that's still like your family. that's still somebody that you love, and you maintain those relationships, but it's yeah. not the same necessarily, which you can't say you can't say it for a lot of other like superhero groups. Namely, The Avengers, because is The Avengers, does it even exist anymore? We get a hard cut, like, this is what happened, this is what's going to happen. I could give a fuck less about the post-credit scene, let's be real.
1: (laughs) I didn't even stay
0: to watch it. I I didn't stay the first time, because I told you this, but... And I think I talked about it a little bit on here, but the movie stopped playing like literally five <laughs> minutes before it was supposed to end. And I was like, I'm so done. It's like it's like almost 11 o'clock at night. I have work tomorrow morning. Like I need to leave. But I did stay for the second one. And the first post-credit scene was like Rocket Groot, yes. um, the little girl and Adam Warlock and his little his little yeah. friend <laughs> w- who's named like Blurp or something. I think so. It's adorable, and
1: and Craglin. Yes, and Craglin.
0: Yes, yes, yes. I stand Cosmo. I love Cosmo.
1: She's the cutest.
0: (laughs) She's so so cute, and I saw people saying that Cosmo was annoying and shouldn't have been there, and I was like, okay, we need to have a talk (laughs) (laughs) because that is so uncalled for. Out of all of the animal sidekicks in this like universe I think she is probably one of the best but that's just me mm-hmm. um but then the second post-credit scene is just like Peter eating cereal with his grandpa oh and his grandpa is complaining about his stepson who like won't mow the lawn or something <laughs> <laughs> and, like that's it
1: <laughs> oh okay I didn't miss anything then I thought it was gonna be no. like a preview or a teasing of another Marvel franchise which is why I didn't stay.
0: <laughs> yeah I mean that's understandable because they've done that before. I remember and at the time I thought that this movie was really good but upon like rewatch and time passing I don't know how good it is. At the end of Spider-Man No Way Home they played the mid credit scene which I can't remember what it was but then the like, last post-credit scene was just the trailer for Doctor Strange. And I was like, you guys posted this two days ago on Twitter.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: It, it was so irritating. But, again, we could sit here and <laughs> right. swap war stories about Marvel <laughs> for hours and hours and hours because that's just what they do. But then at the end, it said that Star the legendary Star-Lord or something will return. So I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. I don't I'm a little confused about that.
1: I'm with you in that I feel like this is a perfect ending and sometimes good things should come to an end. Mm-hmm. Um I think I've just got this fatigue over spinoffs and continuations and live action versions of everything where it's like, I just want something new. I want something that comes from someone's heart and someone's passion Mm -hmm. and not just something they can copy and paste and change a few things and be like okay right that was easy (laughs) like that's one thing I really enjoy about this movie is that it's so original and that you know I couldn't have predicted any of the things that happened in this movie and I'm glad about that like it was such a refreshing change to go into the theater and be like I have no idea what's going to happen. And that's exciting.
0: <laughs> it is. I went in like completely blind and I knew just from the trailers that it was going to deal with Rocket's past, of course, but I didn't mm. know like the extent. And I just have to say personal anecdote about raccoons because I have a personal connection to a raccoon <laughs> and that sounds really weird. <laughs> my sister and my cousin a few years ago found a baby raccoon that was like on the side of the road and she was really, really close to the road. So they were like, we can't just like leave her there. She's going to try to cross and somebody's going to hit her. And when they like ever try and she was a little bit bigger than like little baby rocket is at the beginning. But Mm -hmm. whenever they would try to like touch her or like, you know, move her or pick her up or anything, she would hiss at them and try to scratch them. So I just have to say the little baby raccoon shaking in fear probably would have tried to bite somebody. (laughs) at some point that's all i'm gonna say but with the pg-13 rating i don't think they're allowed to show blood so Mm. that's probably why something like that didn't happen and why they like cut away from you know rocket literally ripping the high evolutionary's face off
1: god that part oh my gosh that was But you know sometimes when you don't explicitly show something it leaves it up to your imagination and then your imagination can fill in those blanks and it's even worse than if you were to actually see
0: it. (laughs) Yeah because you know I mean the whole movie we see the present day high evolutionary with the like skin literally like taped back on. Mm And you wonder throughout the whole movie, like, how did that happen? And then when you finally see it, you're like, oh, fuck that. Yeah. And it and again, it adds to the emotional layers because it's an emotionally charged moment that ties directly into Rocket's trauma. So, like, he's literally wearing the face of Rocket's trauma. And it's such a good, mm. it's such good storytelling. Like, where else are you getting that storytelling ever <laughs> Yeah. in especially like superhero stuff but in the main continuity of of marvel in general i can think of very few where it's like th- I, w- I would honestly say the only one that came across very genuinely prior to this was shang chi but even then they kind of had to pull the like cgi kaiju fight at the mm-hmm. end anyway <laughs> which I'm also tired of and I'm glad that this movie didn't end with um because it, it, it's just it, it's like so boring and predictable and you're right we didn't know anything that was gonna happen in this movie every single moment from one to the next I was like genuinely anxious at some yeah. parts. I was like holding my breath
1: yeah, absolutely I mean and it jumps from one thing to another like you said where it's like you don't really have room to breathe. <laughs> In a way. Yeah. But I still think it did a really good job balancing those moments where you're supposed to be a little more introspective. And you're supposed to take a second to realize what's going on. And I think all of those scenes with Rocket when he was younger are just so heavy hitting because of the way that they're framed and the pacing of it as well. The second time I watched, I found myself even more impacted by those scenes because I knew what was going to happen to his friends. <laughs> and that was oh, yeah. that was just really, really hard to get through. But I think I said this in my original review of the movie, where we don't get to see a lot of the time the impact that some of these villains have. Even with Thanos... And Endgame, and I'm sorry, I'm already complaining about end game, but it's kind of inevitable. Even with that, it's like he snapped half the population out of existence everywhere, and it was just, like, a bunch of trash and, like, yeah. people who went to therapy one time, and that's, like, all we saw of the impact of what happened, and it's, like... No, I think the world would be falling apart a lot more than that. Yeah.
0: And I think I think the time skip was especially lazy. I mean, I am mm-hmm. notoriously anti time skip. That's just me as a person unless it's executed incredibly well.
1: Yeah, unless it's like Arcane where it's very purposeful. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right, like it actually has a purpose to the actual storytelling. Mm-hmm. I felt like they could have had Endgame take place a year or five months later or whatever. And it would have made much more sense than everybody's just going to retire and sit around for five years and just like be sad and drink beer and (laughs) go to therapy with gay Joe Russo and, (laughs) you know, just not even deal with anything and have a half-assed, a team of people trying to protect what's left of the universe it just didn't come across as any kind of genuine and when you think about rocket in this movie especially the fact that he dealt with the loss of his friends for five whole years Mm. and now they're just back there were moments where i was like why are these moments hitting them all so hard and then i was like oh More than half of them were literally dead like a month ago. (laughs) Right. So when Quill is having his benders and he's crying and drinking and falling down and throwing up and all of that, I'm like, how has he not gotten over this in the last five years? And then I remembered he got snapped out of existence. Yeah. For five years, so he never had the time to process that grief and, like, actually mourn Gamora. Now we're just dealing with that. And the fact that it's coming, you know, what, six or seven years after the last one, it's a little bit difficult to kind of catch up. But at the Mm. same time, if you, like, never watched any of those other movies, (laughs) I feel like you would have felt the same. Because this is so self-contained, the movies themselves tell just the story of the guardians we're not having cameos we're not having this person come well there's cameos but from actors (laughs) not you know not like chris hemsworth just walks in and and says something funny and then farts or whatever and walks off (laughs) right um we actually get to spend time with these characters and spend time with their emotions and spend time with their trauma like that's the biggest thing that it, it, i don't want to sound like the jamie lee curtis meme but like it's all about <laughs> trauma. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> trauma trauma and trauma <laughs> no but i think
1: it was so important to see that and i love that they framed quill in the beginning of the movie you know like you said he was falling over he was drunk But people were caring for him and they were genuinely concerned about him. And like the only person who was kind of like, again, this is happening again, was Drax. And that's just like typical Mm. Drax, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's the autism. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You would expect nothing else from him. (laughs) Um, But I really appreciated that emotional beat from him. And how much character development we actually got from him in this movie. And to see him just so cut up over Gamora, I think, was good. Because it's just like, the other Avengers kind of had a funeral for Natasha and then just got over mm. her death. And it's like, that's not how human beings work.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> or it's not
1: how sh- they should work. Where it's just like, people grieve in different ways and we didn't get to see really any of that
0: yeah and I think that even just the topic of substance abuse as a whole in the MCU has really not been utilized correctly especially we're gonna complain about Endgame again but with Thor (laughs) and characters like Tony like Tony has a severe drinking problem in the comics and I don't think they wanted to lean as heavily into that in the movies because of Robert Downey Jr.'s own like mm. past with substance abuse which I understand so they kind of replaced it with PTSD and anxiety which is also a great thing to explore yeah you have to portray these things realistically but to portray them realistically and then also compassionately Yeah. And f- like frame it in a way where it's like this is a person who is s- clearly struggling getting that support from his support system while also being held accountable and holding mm-hmm. himself accountable for his own fuck-ups. He even says like none of this would have happened. He internalizes that guilt yeah. with Rocket getting hurt because he was off his shit. He was passed out. He was unconscious. And there's probably nothing that he could have done. But at the same time, having a character realize the consequences of their own actions in the moment instead of after the fact or like being you know kind of doubling down on it and trying to blame others which some of the characters fall into in this movie (laughs) 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 trying to point the finger at each other but then they all come to that point where they're like I need to assume responsibility for myself and my own actions through the support of my friends who are gonna call me out on my bullshit Mm -hmm. which is what friends actually do not you know just like ignore it and wait for it to go away friends talk to each other like real yeah instead of sugarcoating things which makes it again feel like real relationships rather than this is a movie everybody's here for a paycheck and everybody went home with you know millions of dollars in their pocket (laughs) and went and bought a yacht and then they never thought about it again these are characters and this is a story that impacts the cast and it impacts us because they are playing it with their whole hearts it's not just like reading lines off paper i really feel those emotions from all of them and that's even chris pratt right (laughs) (laughs) even chris pratt i hate to say it i really enjoyed him in this movie but it comes across so genuine and that's another thing that's totally missing from most big blockbusters these days i think Mm.
1: Yeah, definitely, that's the sincerity of everybody and them actually appreciating the roles that they're playing and bringing their own sort of flavor to it as well. And to your point, like about Peter holding himself accountable, I think they did a really good job with that in terms of his substance abuse, but also in terms of him and his relationship with Gamora where he had a really hard time throughout the whole movie sort of letting her go and not realizing that this version of Gamora that is present in this movie is not his Gamora. But gradually over time he starts to see it more and then he appreciates her for who she actually is and not who he wants her to be. And him letting her go at the end of the movie, I thought was really, really well done. Really bittersweet in a way, because I think we as viewers kind of wanted them to fall in love again and wanted her to like give him a chance, but that's just not realistic. Mm. And I appreciated that James Gunn wasn't just like, oh yeah, whatever, like she'll fall for him, <laughs> we'll have yeah. this happy fairy tale ending. It's like, no, you know that sometimes it just doesn't work out that way and she's a different person to the character that we knew in volumes one and two and i think that was actually a really hard task for him to take on i've seen a lot of people complaining about that and the relationship and about gamora's characterization in this movie and i'm like i enjoyed it I have no complaints about that (laughs) (laughs) I
0: agree completely I also saw those same complaints and I loved her line where she was like you know what is it about me that you need me to be so badly that's missing Mm. in yourself and that's when it clicked together for me as well as Peter in that moment where it's like Oh, God, why am I trying to, like, fill this hole, that traumatic event that happened in my life with somebody who's a complete stranger, essentially? Mm -hmm. Like, this is just the face of the person that I knew, but the life that she's lived... In that time, which I'm still like, how the fuck in the time travel hell <laughs> does this even work that I she got killed know. in one timeline and then she got brought back in another and then it's like all fucked up and convoluted. But still, it is emotionally satisfying because, yeah, we all want it. We were all rooting for them. Yeah. I, or at least I was, you know, I loved their chemistry in the first two movies. I loved their love story. But realistically, a lot of the time love and friendships and relationships form because of where you are in that specific moment in your life and the events that lead to those moments and the experiences that you have while you're living with that person or doing something with that person you can't force that when you've had completely different you know paths that happen to cross again because now Gamora has her whole family with the Ravagers and it's like, you know, there's, there's a completely different world out there for her mm. that she's experiencing now. I think that there could have been a number of ways that James Gunn went about it, but tying her in with characters that we already know and also showing her as like having love and acceptance from those characters and having the same kind of bond that she had with the Guardians. So we're not like, oh no, so sad. She's all alone out there and she's got like nothing. She does have something and it might not be the same, but it's maybe better, you know, maybe there's something that it's, it's like, there's always another door that opens Mm. And it's like a second chance, which, again, is what this movie is about, yeah. especially with James Gunn getting another chance to come back to the trilogy. It's a, it's such a well thought out like metaphor and it's such a well thought out story beat that I think played out really organically throughout the story. I do kind of wish that Gamora had had a little mm-hmm. bit more interaction with some of the other Guardians, but even her just saving Rocket from Adam Warlock,
1: right. she
0: didn't have to do that. But I think there is a little part of her that in some way is like cosmically connected to them, even though she doesn't really know it. Because she does come to that realization at the end, like, I can see how I would have loved these people and I would have loved Peter, but I'm not part of the family anymore. But I once was. And it's like a weird dichotomy of I had this other life that I don't know, (laughs) but now I have this new life that is the only thing that I do know. But either way, she's happy and she's surrounded by love. And that's all that matters.
1: (laughs) Yeah and I think to your point about there always being an open door I never got the impression that like she was never going to meet up with these people again and that was just it she's just going to cut them off forever. I feel like there's so many possibilities for headcanons and fanon interpretations of what could happen in the future and just the fact that she understood Groot after only two Aww. days of spending time with him. I do think that speaks to her connection with them and that she is part of the family, um, in a way.
0: Yeah, that was something that hit me and didn't hit me until after <sighs> yeah. I found out that the reason why we could understand Groot in that moment is because we're part of the family now, too. I'm going to cry. I know. It's so good. It's so good. It's just another one of those, again, things where, first of all, good for Vin Diesel for getting to go into the booth one day and record something (laughs) different because – I'm sure just repeatedly saying I am Groot for seven or eight years was a little bit annoying because his only other line is family in the, -hmm. in the fast and furious movies. Um, (laughs) A lot of people were like, I thought he was going to say something about family and then I was going to start cracking up or leave. Um, (laughs) which I would have understood, but yeah, no, I, I just really love the way that there are those opportunities now to interact with the rest of the Guardians again. Especially, I think, Nebula, too. Like, Mm. there wasn't any real animosity between them. So I'm kind of led to believe that at some point post-Endgame or maybe the events of Endgame kind of buried that between them because that was a big point of contention in volume two where they were kind of butting heads and they were like figuring out what they really mean to each other. So to see maybe see them redevelop that in the future again I don't want to see any more (laughs) Guardians anything but I could definitely like read a fic where they you know meet up once a year or whatever and just get together and catch up and give each other support and like show each like show interest in each other's lives mm-hmm. because it's a really important relationship and like i'm really close with my sister so that like sister bond is something that i love to see represented on anything except for like frozen but i'm gonna <laughs> go on another anti-disney rant i guess <laughs> oh no don't get me started Katie <laughs> 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 Oh uh, yeah, I
1: really appreciated that relationship too. And it was only on my second rewatch that I realized that Gamora stuck around to help uh Peter save the other people on the the spaceship because of Nebula. She specifically said, I'm not leaving my sister there. Oh um, yeah. Which is really nice to see. Like you said, especially because of volume two where they we're actively trying to kill each other the entire movies. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that happened. <laughs>
1: um, oh man. But again, it's one of those things where you talked about this happened in this timeline and it didn't happen in this one. Um which is again really confusing. I'm not trying to make <laughs> that much sense of it. No. But <laughs> Yeah, I can see their relationship just prospering and growing, especially because of Nebula's growth in this movie in particular, and I really do want to talk about that, because I I really loved her character arc in this movie.
0: Me too. Let's jump into that, because (laughs) I have... A lot. I have so many thoughts. I I think I posted something about that on like my Marvel Facebook group, and everybody agreed with me. They were like, it came out of nowhere, but Nebula had the best fucking character arc, and I don't know how it <laughs> happened, but she's everything that you could want in a point A to point B fully fleshed out, developed character arc where she starts out as an abused child soldier and then ends the story saving abused child soldiers and giving them the family and the home that she never had that's fucking beautiful i i love it
1: (laughs) i'm getting the chills just thinking about it yeah i would not have really thought about her as a mother figure before this movie but when she rescued those children and she realized this is my purpose, this is what I want to do with my life is to, like you said, give these kids a better life than I ever had. That was just amazing. And for her to go from this, like, survivalist mindset, she's been in survival mode her entire life. Now she gets to heal and thrive and, like, be a part of a family, and she doesn't have to worry about day-to-day, like, how am I going to get through this pain? How am I going to tolerate the next thing that Thanos decides to do with me? That's gone now, and now she can focus on herself, but also the people in her life that love her. And you can tell, like, the kids at the end, they just... They flocked to her. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And it's like sometimes children have a better way of recognizing the energy of someone than adults do. I think they have this intuitive sort of thing where they realize what's going on. They're more perceptive. And so Mm -hmm. for them to just like immediately attach to Nebula, I think is so sweet. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, they know a lot of the time who, like, their safe person is. The way Mm -hmm. that, um, and this is, like, a separate thing, but the way that, like, the baby raccoons immediately went to Rocket and, like, were comforted in his presence and trusted him because they recognized, the same way that he recognized something of himself in them, they recognized that he was the beginning of what they were starting to go through, or he was, like, the end product of it, rather nebula having that peace and safety and comfort allows her to provide that healing to those kids it reminds me a lot of people who go through like the foster system and Mm -hmm. then end up fostering kids themselves because they don't want those kids to have the same traumatic experiences that they did they want to give them a safe and comfortable environment, even if it's temporary, um, because I, you know, I mean, we're gonna throw that one little girl right onto the guardians team right away. I guess <laughs> just let her go fight giant monsters and shit, because I guess that's what she wants to do. Um, but you know, everybody else gets gets time and space and gets to like make decisions for themselves, which nebula was never afforded she never got the opportunity to really decide who she is and what she wants to do with her life everything that she was doing up until that point was at the bidding of thanos right so now that she has like agency that's another big theme of this movie is now everybody has agency and they finally get to think like what do i want in life and Maybe I need to, like, therapize myself and, you know, kind of figure out, like, what is really going to make me happy, even if right now I love the people that I'm with. They've been, like Nebula, in survival mode. They've been doing everything that they have to do in order to make it through every single day. And now they just get to breathe. (laughs) And that's, like, a huge thing where it's, like, you just get relief at the end of it. The same relief that we feel when dog days are over starts rolling, you know, and everybody just starts laughing and singing and dancing and just having a good time. It's like, and it's not even corny either. I would have accepted it even if it was corny, but it was just so (laughs) cathartic and so genuine across the board. Nebula, the perfect character arc. I have no complaints.
1: Yeah. I think another really great one was Drax. um, Yeah. And how Nebula, Helped him find his purpose as well, where I know they had a pretty contentious relationship <laughs> <laughs> before that, but her getting to see that side of him and she also opened herself up to seeing that side of him too. You know, she yeah. she has a tendency to sort of shut people down, but I liked in this movie how open she was and how open she became. Like with Mantis and Drax, seeing their value in the team and telling them their value. Like, I don't know that Drax would have come to the conclusion that he, he didn't need to be, be a destroyer if it wasn't for Nebula sort of guiding him in that direction. Right. But that was really nice to see in his relationship with the children and. And his arc coming to a close because this whole time we've been with Drax, every other moment he's kind of reminding us that Thanos killed his family. Mm. You know, Thanos killed his little girl. And that's why he became the Destroyer. And so for him to be able to adopt all of these children and and become a father again is just... It's so beautiful.
0: I just had a sick thought where I was like, it's just like Scott's tots. <laughs> I don't- Know why that came to me, um, but the thing that I was thinking about before that was how beautiful it is that first of all he came to that you know conclusion even if it was prompted by Nebula, mm. but the fact that Nebula could recognize in him that he was a good father when she herself has never—I mean, I don't know how much she knows or remembers about mm. her biological parents—but the only father figure that she really remembers in her life. Is thanos who abused her so for her to recognize in drax like you have the qualities of not just a father but a great father and you can be a father figure to all of these kids that makes him maybe he's not thinking about that but maybe it's just me um but you know that that makes it all that much more impactful when you you really sit with it and think about it. And that's my other favorite thing about this movie is the more I sit with it and the more I think about it, the more I love it, yes. <laughs> which doesn't really happen. Sometimes I'll sit with something and think about it and the more I nitpick and the more I like analyze it, I'm like, "Wait a second. That doesn't make any sense. That's stupid." <laughs> no. But I don't have that with this.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I think I originally Rated it at four and a half stars on my letterbox, and then I went back and changed it to five stars because I was like, Hell yeah! You know, I it has its flaws, but the flaws to me are so minor and don't detract from the emotions that it made me feel and all of the good things that happened. So I was like, Eh, I'm not deducting half a star, it's fine, right?
0: I think I saw it. It was a few people but Cosmonaut Variety Hour did a like little review like a mini review on his channel and one of the things that he knocked the movie for was having like weird editing in some places and like Mm -hmm. having hard cuts and I'm like I think that's first of all just like a personal preference but I don't think it adds or subtracts anything from the overall quality of the movie. If it was Truly bad editing. I could point to like five other Marvel movies that I've watched in the last year or so that definitely had some weird cuts. I think I was, I told you about this. There's like this scene in Thor Love and Thunder where Thor is going to confront Gore the God Butcher, the Mm. villain of the movie, and he's talking to Valkyrie and she's like out of commission because she got beat up in a previous fight. And it cuts in such an odd place that I was like, was there another line there? (laughs) Was there another scene that was supposed to happen or like a continuation of the scene? But I didn't feel that way in this movie. Mm -hmm. I felt like it kind of flowed really succinctly and it flowed in a way that made sense. So that even when you have those moments where it's like you, it's it's very dark and quiet Mm -hmm. with rocket and his little band of misfits you don't feel like it's a completely different movie from what else is going on um because rocket is still in the movie he's just reliving those experiences and showing us and again show don't tell because they easily could have just taken like five minutes Mm -hmm. to look at the the chip or whatever in him and been like Oh, this is fucking horrific. Yeah. But they actually took the time to show us and not just the the horrifying moments. It was the moments of vulnerability and the moments mm. of connection and the moments of quiet that you kinda have to take in the face of the tragedy and not just like here's animal torture for <laughs> yeah 15 minutes there's there's substance to it that's not for the sake of it or for the shock value it's just there to remind us what this character started with and what he's ending up with and i think that that was really just brilliantly executed I, and again done with so much care i don't know that i've seen a movie since like the Batman where I felt like every single person who worked on it cared this much and that's like the bare fucking minimum <laughs> but it's it it shows and it, it and it gives us a good end product that could have easily just been like a, a dumb little send-off where like half the people die and then half the people are sad and then it's like end game all over again <laughs> Um god please which we would have we would have fucking we would have revolted we would have gone into the streets we would have joined the writer's strike and like right. been like this is what i have a grievance with <laughs> well, i think
1: i think you make a really good point with that because they really could have easily done what you said and just showed that little hologram been like oh shit this is why you know he didn't talk about his past but it's like no let's show why the fuck he didn't talk about his past Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you know again I think that Endgame did a pretty terrible job mischaracterizing Rocket and turning Mm -hmm. him into this sort of apathetic quippy I don't know animal sidekick that just you know like slapped Thor on the face when he was having a panic attack and for laughs for Ooh. some reason, even though I didn't find that funny whatsoever.
0: That's not funny <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, where it's like okay, we're finally taking this character's trauma seriously, and we're not gonna shy away from why he is the way that he is, and I really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, I mean, even going back to the first one where the people in the movie barely know each other, Mm -hmm. like they've all just met, but they go to that bar and Drax and Rocket get into the fight. And Rocket is like really drunk and he's just having a really emotional reaction where he is reflecting on who and what he is and just contemplating his own existence and like what wondering what his purpose is. In the world, and like why he was made into what he is, and the isolation of the way that he feels. And I think that does apply to like everybody in the Guardians feels so other and so different from each other, but that's what brings them together, weirdly. Yeah. Like Mantis touched on that a little bit too, where she was like, I don't have any experiences in life outside of what ego taught me and told me and showed me. And I've never had the opportunity to, like, figure out what my purpose in life is because I didn't have one before. My purpose was to be with Ego and, like, do whatever he wanted. And I think that's another kind of through line with Nebula where it's kind of like they had these fathers who just Mm. used them. Right. (laughs) Um, and that's a question mark for me is like what is next for mantis Mm -hmm. what is mantis going to do next what is she going to do in life and again i don't really care to see it unless it's like a little (laughs) one-off and james gunn does it but i don't think he's going to i think he's pretty wrapped up in superman and all of his dc stuff so maybe you know somebody will write a great fic about it or somebody will make like a a fan movie or something mm-hmm. where it's like Mantis's adventures <laughs> um with her uh, with her new babies. Um, it's an interesting thing to think about, like when you have so little of your own agency, then you finally get it. It becomes a really existential mm. question. And I love that those themes were explored because it resonates with me. It resonates with a lot of people, I'm sure, where we kind of question our our life paths. I'm going through like a whole questioning of my life path and figuring something else out. So maybe that's part of why it all hit me so much. But it also does, it's just a like human experience. And that's, again, so simple, but it really hits when you get to see yourself represented in something. Mm. And it's not, you know, it's like, it's fucking aliens. (laughs) It's not, it's just like little alien people, you know, they're in space just hanging out. And it's like, who would have ever thought that this silly movie with like a talking raccoon (laughs) and aliens would hit so hard. And reveal the truth about, like, human nature when half of them aren't even human. Like, that's so special.
1: Yeah. I think if I can, I'd love to talk about sort of my relationship with Mantis and how much she means to me. Yeah, I want to hear that. So I have a, I guess I should preface this by saying I didn't watch the original Marvel movies I only watched Guardians of the Galaxy uh, before I think it was Infinity War and then I went back and rewatched all of them Um, but I Mm -hmm. had seen volume 1 and volume 2 before I saw anything else and when Mantis was introduced I know she really wasn't a big fan favorite I think some people had some complaining about her writing and sort of how subservient and subdued she was and I don't know. It was it was hard for me because I saw so much of myself in her. And that was one of the first times that I had really been interested in the superhero genre because we see a lot of these characters where they're ultra powerful or, you know, they are outspoken and their weaknesses aren't really highlighted a lot and For this character to come in that was so empathetic and so cerebral was really interesting and hard-hitting for me. And um, for those, you know, who don't know me, I guess I'll say I was in an abusive relationship. So I really empathized with Mantis's, you know, whole... I'm with Ego and he tells me what to do and I can't really do anything. Like he basically formed her personality for her. And so when she, you know, gained friends and she got to become a part of the guardians and she had a support system and she found her sense of humor, which I think was a huge aspect of this movie where it's, we got to see Mantis's, sense of humor where she didn't even know what a joke was in volume two before Drax came <laughs> along, you know? Um, I just, I really appreciate her character um, and how she uses love and empathy as a sense of power and a sense of energy. I think that's really special to see, especially in this genre.
0: Well, I feel like i know you so much better now that you like shared that (laughs) that's amazing because i i never i love mantis as a character but i've never really thought about it in that like lens so thank you for sharing that because that makes me appreciate her so much more (laughs) that makes so much sense because one of the most emotional like climaxes of the movie was when Nebula was yelling at her and like calling Drax stupid and kind of berating them and calling them fuck ups. But Mantis was pretty firm in that that doesn't really matter because Mm. they love each other, you know, like, yeah, they love each other despite their flaws. And that's her biggest strength is Mm. being able to love somebody despite their flaws. Because the love that she had, she does she never had unconditional love before. Yeah. And when she finds it with her friends, she realizes its value and how much it can not only benefit her, but benefit them to give that back to them and understand like the reciprocal connection between people without it being transactional and without mm-hmm. it being one sided. It's it's just so just so special to see That kind of evolution in a character that I think was probably viewed as comedic relief for a lot of people yeah, because she didn't have too much depth in volume two, but I think she got a lot more than people really cared to look into and cared to think about. Because most of the time when people go into these kind of movies, they're like, I don't want to feel things. I just want to shut my brain off and sit in the movie theater <laughs> right. in the dark for two hours and not have to think about anything. But we're yeah. not like that. <laughs> we're, no. we're the kind of people who actually sit and reflect on something that we watch and try to analyze the emotional value of it. when you sit with a character like Mantis, then you can come to the conclusions that you've come to or the conclusions that I've even come to about different characters that a lot of people on the surface would not really view as being a character that has something to say and has a message to portray for its audience but I don't think that anything in these movies was done like by accident I think that it was all purposeful and none of it was done to like fill up runtime or fill up screen time or do something like visually engaging even though this movie was beautiful (laughs) by all standards which is another breath of fresh air because you go into some movies these days (laughs) and it feels like the the vfx is just unfinished (laughs) or a little bit less smooth or refined than you would like so maybe that's something that having so long to work on this movie actually worked in its favor Because people weren't working 100 hours, sleeping under their desk, trying to get it finished before the release date. So, yeah, I already expressed my support for unions in my last episode, I think. Mm. Give the VFX workers a fucking union and let them work in their own time frame because their work (laughs) is so appreciated when it is done well and when they are given the proper parameters to get it done within a timely and um, realistic manner (laughs) so that's my piece (laughs) on that stepping off my soapbox
1: (laughs) no but to that point can we talk about the hallway scene near the end of the movie oh my
0: fucking god it's so good (laughs) it's so good i
1: was just kind of like sitting there with my jaw Hanging open, yeah, but also smiling at the same time because it was just so fun, yeah. And it was all I'm sure it wasn't done like all in one shot practically, but the way they edited it made it look like it was one shot. I was like, Birdman, who? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, so good,
0: (laughs) it really is, and it played to each of their strengths perfectly well, emphasized each of them exactly enough. We actually got to see, like, Drax and Gamora go back to their roots with the weapons that they preferred, and like, Mm -hmm. just... every First of all, everything that they do with Quill in these movies, with his blasters, is so much more creative than any, like, John fucking Wick or whatever that people have, (laughs) like, regular guns, or even Star Wars, because he... Actually, well, in Star Wars, they don't even hit their targets because they're fucking stupid. But <laughs> <laughs> but the hallway scene was probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And mm-hmm. the brutality of the violence in this movie really took me off guard, actually. And it yeah. shouldn't have following the last James Gunn movie that I watched, The Suicide Squad, because while that was a rated R movie... And they could get away with a lot more of that. Um, That movie was fucking graphic. (laughs) In the first like five minutes, there's so much blood and guts and explosion that you are like, wait, did I turn on the right movie? Um, (laughs) What's happening here? But none of it is done after the first five minutes without a reason. So you actually get to like feel the impact of it, where when you have, you know, a silly character who gets killed in like a what would be like comically brutal way where like it's like a Deadpool movie, it's actually really,, um, it it hits you really hard because you've come to care about that character. So, you know, seeing all of these characters, Getting hit, like knocked around so hard, and and oh hurting gosh, yeah. other people in that way, you really feel the stakes of it, especially after. Drax was like full murder mode and then Peter was like <laughs> we're not killing anybody but then as soon as he realized that Rocket was like in true danger he was like fuck it let's kill everybody I don't care yeah. let's just kill everybody <laughs> why not um which was another scene that I loved of him and Groot with Groot yes. with all the arms and they're like shooting everybody oh, I was, was like so good so fucking cool which again could have just been like a silly like action movie scene where you don't really know what's going on and you can't really follow it the emphasis was on quill and groot and their Mm -hmm. the emotions that they have tied up in that fight and how far they're willing to go to save rocket they don't give a fuck about killing anybody at that point because the only thing that matters is rocket and Mm -hmm. that is good movie making and good storytelling 101 (laughs) when you don't have something in a movie just for the sake of it when you don't have it in for shock value when you have it in for a reason and not just to make something look cool in 3d or you know whatever movies we're making movies for now a day is just to put butts in seats and (laughs) sell a (laughs) bunch of tickets and make a billion dollars I You're truly right. couldn't give a fuck if this movie makes a billion dollars, two billion dollars, five dollars. I don't mm-hmm. think that's a marker of its quality or its success, mm-hmm. but that's just me.
1: <laughs> no, I agree. I, yeah, the choreography in this movie was just so good. And like you said, you could see everything that was going on, there was a focal point in every scene. Whereas I feel like so many of the movies nowadays, It's, like, it's so muddy. Mm. You can't tell what's going on. You have to watch it back, like, ten times to figure out who shot who Mm -hmm. and, like, who's dying. (laughs) I can't tell what's going on. Um, But with this, it was very clear. Everything – It's something I really appreciate about the Guardians movies is that they're, like, bright Mm. and exciting and – the settings are really exciting. Like I want to go to nowhere mm-hmm. and I want to walk around, or even that gross, like what was it, orgo court? Yeah, like, that was so disgusting. It was but so gross, it, <laughs> but it was really well done. Yeah, um, just the way that the settings are crafted, it makes it feel like it's real. Yeah. And it also makes it feel otherworldly, which is really fun. Like, I think about Ego's Planet and how cool that looked. That was really well done. But I think that just goes for all of the Guardians movies and where they take place.
0: Yeah, because a lot of the time when you have a movie that does rely so heavily on CGI, it can kind of look muddy like it can kind of all look the same it can kind of all have Mm. the same kind of color palette the same shapes and the same shades and stuff but when you blend practical with CGI first of all I think it makes you appreciate the practical that much more because the sets on Nowhere are like I from what I can tell from like behind the scenes videos and pictures and stuff mostly real like they are truly like built sets. And then you have the CGI stuff and then you have stuff like Orgo Corp, which I was thinking when I was watching back reviews about this movie, it was really disgusting. But you really do feel <laughs> like it is a real place and moreover yeah. that it is alive because it's made out of uh, yeah. organic matter, which is under different circumstances and in different hands, I think would have been so much harder to pull off. But the way Mm -hmm. it was done was just the end product is so good. Like how can you have any complaints about it? You know, it's just, it's so, it's so perfect in it's execution. And it makes you appreciate the movie as a whole so much more, especially when you don't have to walk back old things and old locations and um, try to like recreate, like they could have tried to recreate like Quill's ship and they could have tried to recreate Mm. other things that they've done before, but they are working with what they have. And what they have is what, you know, we saw it in the um, Christmas special a little bit too. They're kind of Mm. trying to build nowhere into something that is their own and not just the place that they live And putting those little personal touches in it makes it feel more real and it makes it feel more alive because it has an actual connection to the characters and it's not just like a set piece.
1: Yes, I think they utilize CGI the way it's supposed to be utilized, which is it's a support to practical effects. It doesn't replace practical effects. Ugh, I could go on a whole hour-long rant about that but um I yeah I'm like a big proponent of using as many practical effects as necessary but I do think for this series in particular it's CGI needs to be utilized because they're in space right (laughs) um and they're in this fictional place that you, you would have a hard time creating from practical effects. Yeah. But I just, I just think they do. They have a great balance of both of those.
0: Yes, especially. Can we talk about Baby Rocket and how <sighs> cute he is, and how well, <laughs> like you can see the different, you can see the individual like hairs. On his face in the close up shots and how well that was done, just him on the whole, like, and seeing the transformation that he went through over time. First of all, very sad, (laughs) but second of all, very well represented visually to a point where, you know, you really do see the progression of his physicality and not just. Like here's a little version of the same rocket where it's kind of like Groot and that's something that people kind of complained about where they're like why does Groot look so different but I'm like that's not the same Groot he was he yes. was grown out of a out of a twig but you actually get to see what he started out as which I I personally questioned I was like what happened to the rest of those baby raccoons that he was in the cage with I don't want to think about it but I also kind of have to But the fact alone that he had, like, some kind of family throughout all of his struggles as a baby and as a child and all the things that he went through, the fact that at the end of the day or the end of testing or whatever, that he could go back to people who, people, animals, who really (laughs) cared about him and actually, like, understood what he was going through, first of all, and then were able to empathize with him and were able to comfort him and the fact that he wasn't alone so that now that he has this other family he finally understands what true familial connection is through having had it in the past and it, it makes things i think you sent a like gift set uh, a couple weeks ago where it's like reflecting back on his line about how everybody's got people that they've lost and. You can't get everybody else killed on the way just because of that, highlighting the guilt that he feels for, in his mind, letting his family die. There is so much there that I think you wouldn't think to apply to a CGI raccoon. (laughs) But (laughs) combine the the writing and combine the really beautifully done, realistic-looking CGI not like lion king cgi like actually good (laughs) cgi that like shows facial expressions Mm. um you get a product that just sings and just like makes you appreciate rocket's character growth and his character arc all that much more even though i really liked him before i don't know where the rocket stands have been all this time but everybody's (laughs) here now and I love that for him. I love that he's getting his flowers finally. He's getting his dues. And yeah. everybody's realizing what a wonderful character he is because he always has been. He was just a little bit of an asshole before. And he's going to be. And that's fine, <laughs> right. too. Like, that's another thing that this movie comments on is, like, everybody is an asshole sometimes. <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't matter, like, if you slip back into bad behaviors as long as you continue to work on that and work on yourself and understand why you are an asshole like rocket knows he's an asshole because of the things that he went through but in the healing process he becomes a little bit less of an asshole every day and it's (laughs) only through the love that he has from his friends and from his family that he's able to have that like reflection and be like I want to be a better person for them and I think that's a great message too you know we all have our own things that we're going through some of us are lucky enough to have really great support systems to get through it and Rocket was alone for a really long time and now he's not
1: I think you touched on a really great point there about the physicality and how they developed that over time, seeing the flashback scenes, I thought that was really well done, and even like his voice developing yeah. over time, where and how he learned to speak. Even though it shatters my heart into a million pieces whenever I think that his first word is hurt. I'm like, please don't do that. To yeah. Me. <laughs> oh. Um, but. Yeah, he slowly went from, you know, walking on all fours to walking upright. And um, something else I really liked was how they showed him sort of being crafty and like stealing batteries yeah. when he could get the opportunity to do so. I thought that was a really nice touch. It was just like the little details that added so much to his character and to his development. Yeah. Um, I think they did such a good job with that. Yeah. Oh, even, like, the little, like, you could see the dirt particles on him when he was in captivity. Oh. And even that just, like, hit you oh. in the face. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this poor animal can't even, you know, take care of itself, can't even groom itself. Oh. Um, and it, it was with that, you know, with his friends as well, they were the same way, Ugh, I, ch- I don't even like know if I want to touch Aww. on them because it just makes it makes me so upset to think about them. I don't know why, but Floor in particular, her character design, like, m- fucked me It's up.
0: disturbing. <laughs> it's, she looks like something that like Sid from Toy Story would make.
1: Yes.
0: It's yes. like the baby doll head with the like, with the... spider legs legs yeah 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 that was something where I looked at her and I was like oh my god the absolute torment that this poor bunny has probably gone (sighs) through um it also made me think that she I mean and the rest of them might really you know empathize with Nebula because Nebula got taken Mm -hmm. apart and put back together but something that really hit me in those scenes was when he got the key and he used it to, to open the doors and he and Lila hugged for the first time. And I was like, Oh my God, they've lived right there, right next to each other for probably several years at this point. And they've never been able to hug because they've had these bars between them. Like he's played with floor. He's cuddled with floor. That fucking scene mm-hmm. where him and Floor are like curled into a little ball mm-hmm. together. Are you kidding no. me? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? I know. It's so good and it's so sad and it's just, it, it hurts all that much more when you get to that last scene of him having that, you know, kind of flashback and whatever representation of the afterlife that is where they hug again and he's like all grown up now and he's been through yeah. so much more and he's. Felt the weight of all of the trauma that he's lived through but he still has more life to live and that's a beautiful message too it's like you can go through a whole lot of fucked up shit you can you know wear that with you all the time but you can also continue to live better after it it's such a hopeful message and it's so it's so smartly done it's just that especially hit me in a way that i just wasn't expecting to because like like again it's a fucking cgi otter you know like (laughs) why am i crying over an otter and a walrus and a rabbit um never mind the fact that i'm like a huge animal lover anyway but yeah, yeah that that was just oh All those those scenes really tugged at my heartstrings.
1: I think I read something on James Gunn's Twitter where he said, Teefs and Lila and Floor were the reason why I had to make this movie. And that just really struck me where he recognized how important they were and how important they were for Rocket's journey and just i think too the high evolutionary we haven't really talked about him Mm. a lot but as a villain how impactful how scary he actually is because i do think the mcu kind of struggles with villains sometimes Mm. i would even say the first guardians movie struggled with that um I really was not a big fan (laughs) of that. Uh, But they made up for it, I think, with Ego. I thought he was a really, really good villain. Uh, But they even one-upped that in this film, which was... That's pretty hard to do, considering Ego is, like, a planet, basically. (laughs) He's he's, he's He's more or less a god, yeah. Yeah, and so he had pretty much ultimate power at his fingertips um so for them to one-up that that was really impressive in my opinion
0: i agree i also really loved ego and i i see so many people complain about the portrayal of the character and the fact that quill's dad is a different character in the comics i don't really give a fuck about that because i (laughs) don't ever have a reason or drive to like read those comics because i just love the movie so much and if i really wanted to go and read the comics i would but i don't yeah so yeah that you know and having him have a really personal tie to quill and just like the slap in the face of the moment where he reveals that he essentially killed peter's mother yes that oh is fucking like sobering like i remember my fucking stomach fell out of my ass when i yes. first watched that scene i was like oh my god i can't even believe that he just said that yeah and you get the same effect with the high evolutionary and the kind of talk about you know control and manipulation and and being a god which did a lot more commentary and way better commentary than love and thunder even though that was all about fucking gods um especially that line where you know one of his employees is like for god's sake or whatever and he says there is no god that's why i stepped in yeah you see the cracks in this illusion that he is created that he is this all-powerful all-controlling being when he is really just as fallible as anybody else because another thing that really shows those cracks is the insane jealousy that he has of rocket and the fact that he can't cope with this thing that he created in his mind possibly surpassing him and being better than him and being smarter than him and the cruelty that he then further escalates as a result of it it really serves to highlight the insecurity that he has deep down because if he felt Mm -hmm. you know sure of himself and his abilities he wouldn't have had to do that I don't I don't see the criticisms where it's like this villain was one dimensional or he wasn't really fleshed out properly. I think he was fleshed out perfectly well and I think that his impact on the story was exactly as as it should have been. But that's just me.
1: Yeah, and I think there's something also to be said of this notion that villains have to have like a tragic backstory. Mm or all of this build up to get us to understand them it's like sometimes it's just good to hate somebody (laughs) yeah
0: we can thank loki for that one i guess oh really (laughs) yeah i think before loki there really weren't a lot of villains where it's like oh but he's just a poor little meow meow like he has his own sad Thoughts and he doesn't like himself and he's mad at his dad for this reason or that reason. It's like, just let people be the fucking Joker. Like, <laughs> just, <laughs> just dark night that shit and let people be yeah. evil for the sake of it. And, right. Not have to be something that it's like, I'm doing this as a reaction of my own tragic past. Even though I loved the Batman, like, the Riddler was literally just the manifestation of, uh, tragic backstory but the high evolutionary still had personal stakes and personal yeah. um, attachments to the actual story without it being like well i went through something bad when i was a kid so now i'm gonna go ahead and take that out on everybody else it's like no i'm just a, a control freak. my mom so. <laughs> raccoons killed my mom they pushed her off a cliff <laughs>
1: Oh god. <laughs> and I also think, you know, he can be a metaphor for other things. He can symbolize other things. I right. think he symbolizes hubris in a lot of ways. He symbolizes corporate greed. Mm. And so he doesn't have to be this character that we get this whole tragic backstory for. Right. He can just symbolize something. Um yeah. I think another really interesting part of his character and that whole arc was when they went to counter Earth Mm. and they saw that there was still this corruption going on Yeah, Um, there was still like people fighting and there were drug deals and all that and and for some reason that was like comforting to me (laughs) it's like I just see that
0: on the street (laughs) some squid guy selling drugs to somebody
1: (laughs) but I think like the inevitability of that happening, there's never going to be a utopia. Yeah. He was working towards something that was impossible to achieve because what he wanted essentially was a race that he could control where mm. they had no free will, they had no autonomy whatsoever. When you give people autonomy, they're going to make bad decisions.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: it's just you know it's it's nature and so I really appreciated that aspect of it where it's like this man is kind of just going out of his mind working towards a goal that he's never going to be able to achieve yeah and he's taking that out on everybody else I find that more terrifying than some of these sort of like mustache twirling (laughs) villains that kind of just want to kill people for the sake of killing people like he actually did have a purpose and a reason behind his actions
0: i think he should have just played the sims (laughs) if he really wanted like to exert control over others i think it weirdly reminds me again going back to that like parent child relationship of like parents who will have a kid and their kid will turn out differently than they wanted them to of the like perfect image of them that they created in their head and then taking it out on their kid when they don't meet those impossible expectations because they're their own person and you can't control what they do or what they become or the way that they express themselves or identify themselves or what they believe in. A lot of parents want their kids to be like miniature versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. And in expecting everybody to be perfect, you don't allow for like things like personal growth and things like, you know, what the guardians are all about and what they're going through and the messaging and the, and the theming behind them. They all start out as like, and they are still fundamentally broken people, Mm -hmm. but you can't put yourself back together if you never, like, pick up the pieces. That doesn't mean that it's a good thing that you went through a horrible thing, but it means that you are a person and you you had a life that that happens to a lot of other people. If you just have perfection all the time, then is that satisfying? Mm. Is happiness and stability really something that you can savor if you don't also couple it with like hard times and times where you're kind of trying to you know keep your head afloat and just get through a really tough thing because then how do you appreciate when things are good or when something good happens there has to be a balance and there has to be a good mixture of both preferably more happiness and more positivity and more good times but that's not The way that life usually goes and that's just something that we have to accept rather than trying to like micromanage it and make everything Mm. around us and make other people that's another thing you can't control the behavior of other people as much as we would like to as much as many of us would like to like kind of micromanage the actions of those around us all we can do is react to their actions not control their actions so I think there I think there was a lot of good uh thought put into that Mm. but the the corporate side of it too I think makes me feel like it was a little bit of a fuck you to Disney (laughs) (laughs) and the way they try to like control everything and make everything the same and Mm. make everything palatable and make it feel like you're kind of going back for seconds every time you go back and um yeah fuck Disney (laughs) (laughs) amen (laughs) not because Ron DeSantis doesn't like gay people but because disney fucking sucks (laughs) the end
1: yeah and i also liked that they tied the sovereign into him as well Mm -hmm. um because i did feel like they were a bit of an enigma in volume two and i was looking forward to how they would be brought back in volume three Mm. um because there was kind of that cliffhanger where they were like Still, really pissed off at the guardians. <laughs> and yeah, they, want, they wanted revenge. <laughs> um, so I thought that was a cool way to tie the two movies together. Or the, it has this thread. Um, yeah. And there were some really fun Easter eggs as well. I felt like where we get the Obelisks, who you know, yes. they they fight in the beginning of Volume Two. Um, and the little. I don't know what they're called, like the little rat things that Quill kicks around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, they're yeah. eating them on the stick yeah. in the beginning of <laughs> this movie. <laughs> oh,
0: God. It's a little disturbing when you think about it, but it's also like, hey, everybody's got to eat, right? True. Um Yeah, I was thinking about that, too, and how like all the fan service moments weren't like, moments that kind of took you out of it Mm. and made you be like, oh, hey, that's, like, that thing from that movie, like, the fucking, you know, nostalgia tour of Endgame. We're just shitting on Endgame for two hours today. (laughs) (laughs) It was purposeful and it was meaningful because, like, bringing back the obelisks was further service for Mantis and her ability to, like, empathize with all creatures. That was another thing that really stood out to me in this movie was the kind of personhood that they assigned to Mm. all living creatures and the fact that they were just scared and she was able to recognize that in them and comfort them through that and connect with them in a way that nobody else would have like Drax's first instinct when he saw one of them was to jump inside its mouth and cut it (laughs) open from the from the inside (laughs) so (laughs) yeah another thing that I caught was when I forget I I think it was Quill like cut off the gravity to the um, Mm. like the security guard suits in Orgo Corp. I feel like that was a little bit of a reference to the first one when they were escaping the prison and they cut the gravity so that they Mm. could escape, which could have been like a cutesy little like tongue in cheek. But it was also like Quill trying to impress Gamora and doing something that he, I think Rocket did it in the first movie, doing something that he learned from Rocket, yeah. which shows you just how much these people learn from each other and yes. grow with each other. It's it's so good.
1: I noticed, too, the second time around is, like, how many of them could actually fly the spaceship now? <laughs> yeah, like, and the fact that Gamora can't yeah. because she
0: doesn't have the the experiences that they've had. Yeah. That's so cool.
1: Yeah, that was a fun connection as well, where you're right, they totally learned so many things from each other. I think that's so fun. Um, It reminds me of, you know, Avatar, where they incorporate each other's bending styles by the end of the series. I think that's a pretty fun parallel. (laughs)
0: Oh, I love that. Everything leads back to Avatar. <laughs> that's th- that's what I've learned uh, thus far in my life Yes, is that there, there are so many things that are applicable to Avatar <laughs> that it's like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yes. I just think that there was so much going against this movie and everything that they brought to the table while It may not, you know, seem necessary. It all had a reason for being there. Although I will say, thinking back, I am super sad that everybody on Counter-Earth essentially died and, you know, genocide was committed Mm -hmm. against them because especially that Bat family was so nice to them. (laughs) Like, let them borrow their car and gave them a safe place to go to. But I think that also further highlights the fact that, like, you can empathize with people who maybe you don't even have you have a language barrier mm-hmm. with and still recognize that like they're in need of help and help them because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Because they came to that planet trying to help their friend, but in the process like realize that all of these people are the byproduct of Rocket. Yeah. You know, like he's the reason why they all exist. But I am still sad that they all died because they were nice. They were. <laughs> Some of them were.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, it just shows how the high evolutionary, just, you know, he just sweeps things under the rug when when it doesn't work out yeah. for him. It's just crazy. Like, just destroy an entire planet worth of people. That's it's insane. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's the absolute like devaluation of life, and when you claim to be trying to create this perfect society and, in a way, like give creatures perfect lives, but you don't actually value those lives Mm -hmm. in your own values, what does that say about you? You don't like Rocket said, he doesn't care about creating something that like actually thrives he just cares about his own sense of purpose or whatever it's 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 very driven by ego and it's very um it's very shallow like i was saying like it's something that he doesn't even think twice about right. it's just killing the the things that he's put through unimaginable pain and torture and it's like two difficult to even think about but you know it starts with him killing rocket's friends and just the absolute disregard for everything that they've gone through and everything that they've contributed to him specifically in his own research that has all been for nothing essentially (laughs) so what does it even matter at that rate which is why I don't really care if he actually like died at the end. Yeah, <laughs> I know that people were complaining about that. They're like, but it was yeah. up in the air. I'm like, I don't think it really matters. Mm. But that's just me. I mean, I'm not seeing any more of these fucking movies anyway. So, <laughs>
1: I think um, I think it's kind of clear. I mean, the whole spaceship blew up and he was on there without yeah. a face. So.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And I like the idea, the sort of vindictive nature of him dying alone, yeah, with no one around him. Um, and as sad as Rocket's friends' deaths were, they died among friends, Aww. and they had each other, and he had no one when he died. So just as he deserves, kind of like that, <laughs> yeah, poetic justice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly, because he literally deserves nothing nothing more than that. He deserved even less. Mm-hmm. Rest in piss. Yeah. High evolutionary. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh gosh. Well, um, I don't know if you have anything else to touch on, but I feel like I'm I kind of got it all out. This was really cathartic. I think the
1: only thing Yeah, I think the only thing I would want to add is just how amazing the song choices were this film oh my god yeah um and how much thought james gunn puts into the soundtracks of all of his movies Mm -hmm. and i think in particular you know we touched on this briefly but dog days are over yes how beautiful that was being the ending song um being a more recent song where they had always played songs you know from the past the 70s the 80s um, in the 90s, but mm-hmm. that was the ending song, and it's kind of this metaphor for how these characters are going forward and they've brought themselves to a place in the future where they're going to grow and they're going to heal and they're not dwelling on their past as much. Um, uh-huh. And I think another beautiful thing that really struck me was you know, when Rocket was crying out in pain when his friends died which was one of the hardest parts of the movies to watch um but they let him have the last moment in the film where he's crying out in (laughs) joy when he's when he's listening to that song and he's dancing with his friends i just thought that was an amazing cyclical journey um yeah, it it was just perfectly crafted.
0: <laughs> I agree. I, I even going back to the beginning, opening the movie with the acoustic version of "Creep" by Radiohead, like, yeah. fucking poetic cinema. It was so good. <laughs> and like you said, we started out with music from you know the nineteen seventies. We kind of evolve into the eighties. We start this movie with a song from like ninety one mm-hmm. or ninety two. And then we end with Dog Days Are Over, which I think came out in 2010, having that be like the bookend of the movie. And then we didn't, you didn't stay for this, but the post or the mid credit scene actually as... Oh, I stayed for that. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah it played Come and Get Your Love.
1: Yes. Oh, which, I cried again. Yeah, kind of started,
0: starts all over from the beginning, but you know it's very symbolic especially with like peter returning to earth and figuring out you know where his place is now because he left when he was like seven or eight years old and coming back to an earth that is completely different and has transformed so much since he left it and marking that with the music choices Mm. was very very smart Although I did giggle a little, having seen um, the Mario movie, the fact that Beastie Boy is No Sleep Till Brooklyn was in both movies and Chris Pratt was in both movies. That took me out. <laughs> oh, that completely took me out. But I loved it. I loved I loved it in this movie a lot more than I loved it in Mario. I think the needle drops in that movie were a little bit so iffy sometimes. <laughs> they were a little bit iffy sometimes nobody can do I Need a Hero after Shrek 2 I'm sorry (laughs)
1: Uh (laughs) yeah the just how deliberate it was in this movie and I think sorry to just give one more point like the lyrics okay um the dog days are over where it goes run fast for your mother which is volume one run fast for your father which is volume two, Run for Your Children Aww. and Your Sisters and Brothers, which is volume three. <laughs> it's just like Aww, yeah. so poetic and beautiful. And yeah, I just really I, I'm a big fan of when music hits emotionally and when it's used so purposefully. Um yeah. I think music can be so cathartic and can express emotions that we have a hard time saying out loud um so i think all three volumes do such a great job with that
0: uh, completely agree with that the guardians volume one soundtrack i think was the first cd remember those that <laughs> i bought for my first car oh, um, yeah and i listened to it literally like for months on end <laughs> and it it's it's music that i honestly grew up with because yeah. it's all music that like my dad listens to but it really broadened the music that i personally listen to today because there's like modern equivalents of it of course but yeah having it actually be applicable to the story and impactful in that way where it kind of ties into the actual uh you know elements that are are going on on screen It's not just like, you know, 2016 Suicide Squad where it's essentially like a two-hour long music video, you know. Um, Let's just throw in all the licensed music that we can. No, we're pulling from catalogs that actually make sense for the story. And it was brilliantly done in all three movies. And I can't wait to see whatever James Gunn does with DC now because I'm sure he's going to pull off something similarly brilliant. And I am going to be the first one to go see it. But I know there's people who have their own feelings about (laughs) all that. And all I have to say about that is they're keeping the good and they're getting rid of the shit. Yeah. And that's all that I care about. (laughs) I wish Marvel would do the same, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So I'm jumping off that ship and I'm Mm -hmm. getting on the DC Express. (laughs) Yeah, I think
1: I think this is the last mcu movie i'll see i think i'm kind of done with it um but we'll see
0: <laughs> i think it's the perfect one to end off on and you know especially if you just take this trilogy as mm-hmm. as a trilogy it's the perfect ending for this set of characters in this set of movies mm-hmm. um but that's mm-hmm. just me and <laughs> that's my piece and i'm That's all I got to say on that, honestly. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. Wow. That was so much fun to talk about this movie. Um, I know we both really loved it. And I know we both really love Guardians. So getting to share that with each other is so special to me. And this is why I've been doing this podcast is to, like, share things that I love with people that I care about. And um, I love how much media can really unite Mm -hmm. us as human beings. And give us, you know, a kind of look into each other's lives through it, because I think you can tell a lot about a person from their favorite book and their favorite movie and yeah. stuff. So thank you for joining me and oh, and sharing so much. so much of yourself with this. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was so much fun. Uh, thank you for inviting me and for doing this. And I know, you know, the editing process afterwards. I did that for <laughs> a very long time. So. you're gonna you put a lot of love into this and I really appreciate it
0: oh thank you yeah I I that's the biggest thing that I set out to do this and you know you having a podcast I'm sure you did it for the love you loved avatar and you just wanted to share that with Rebecca and share that with people who also love avatar Mm. and that's the reason why we're (laughs) we met and the reason why we're friends and that's so so fucking weird to think and so cool (laughs) um but no matter what um you know it's it's just so amazing that we get to share these things uh in the world today especially with the last 3 years and everything <laughs> that's gone on in in the world and how disconnected we felt from yeah. everyone that we know we managed to form different connections and that's just that's just awesome if you ask me but um, i don't know if you want to like plug anything or plug your letter boxed or something but <laughs> oh sure i know
1: my letterboxed is Marjorie Stark, so it's spelled the way it is in Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire. I'm a terrible speller, so I won't spell it out loud. I'll probably get it wrong. Uh, that's my letterboxed, and I'm on Tumblr as well. Shifu Ang. That's pretty much where I'm the most active. Is those two platforms.
0: Rach makes amazing edits too Aww. that you you put on Tumblr that I really really love and really enjoy um so yeah give reach a follow on all of those things and um one more time thank you so much for coming on and i would love to have you back for something else in the future if we can put our schedules together i know that's hard as as grown-ups um but this has been an absolute pleasure and i can't wait to talk what the fuck am i talking about next week um (laughs) (laughs) probably into this or um across the spider verse and I am also still contemplating my next show tentatively. It's going to be Castlevania, but who knows? Anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so join me next week for something. I don't know what it's going to be yet. I'll post on the Tumblr about it, I guess. Um, and don't forget to follow me on Tumblr, nerdygirlreviews.tumblr.com, Twitter and Instagram at NerdyGirlPod. Facebook page that's Nerdy Girl Reviews, And if you want to send me an email at nerdygirlreviews at AOL.com with any questions, comments, recommendations, or suggestions, if you want to help me pick my new show, Arcane is over, people. I need something new to talk about. Um, so until then, have a wonderful day and week and keep on fighting the good fight. You guys, we have a lot on our plates these days. So just be healthy, be safe, take care of yourself. And peace and love.